Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Culture loves to talk about ourselves. Now, how many of us know, like, our favorite subject, if we're really, really honest, our favorite subject is ourself, right? All you have to do is look at folks, uh, look at our, our Instagram pages and our, like, how often are we, are we pointing our phone at others? Usually it's like focused on ourselves, our story, something going on in our lives or our family, whatever it is. We love to talk about how we feel. We love to talk about uh, following our heart. We love to do whatever we feel. We, we love to say this in culture, just do whatever makes you happy. If it makes you happy, it's okay. It doesn't really matter. And, and really, here's what Scripture has to say about this concept. Here's what Scripture has to say about our feelings. You want to know what Scripture has to say about our feelings? Let's check it out. In, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It says, don't depend on your understanding, but trust in the Lord with your heart issues. And then it says this, it says, seek his will in all that you do. How many of us love doing what we want to do? Come on, let's all raise our hands, because we do. We love doing what we want to do. But the Bible says, seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you the path to take I think it's, it was a reminder for me, what a reminder that our feelings, what we feel aren't necessarily related to or they don't have to have anything to do with our attitude of gratitude. That was kind of what I, what I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me. It doesn't always matter what I feel when we talk about this issue of gratitude, but the Bible says to seek Him, seek His will in what we do. And, and, and to be honest, I think we're, we're, we're really as adults, we're not that much different and, and, and a two-year-old in this way, in that we want what we want, but as we get older, we get really good at disguising our motives, right? We're not that much different sometimes. Like we see our kids, they just haven't learned how to fake it yet. When our kids are in it, right, they haven't learned how to like fake it and how, like, and you watch them as they get older. I've got a couple kiddos that they've, they're kind of learning this now, how to like work dad, Right, how to like say it a certain way to, to get dad to do what they want dad to do. Does anybody have, anybody have grandparents or kids that they just have you wrapped around their, their finger, right? If you're a grandparent, that's okay. If you're a parent, we need help, right? We need to get with it. But what does gratitude look like? This was kind of what I felt like God was speaking to me last week. To me, gratitude, it, it lines up with scripture. It means giving thanks in all circumstances. Notice we don't say give thanks for the circumstance, but it's give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, I thought it was interesting. PG reminded me last week that actually it's a mandate to be grateful. Do you know that? It's not like an option. I, I, I was thinking of what, what like stood out to me. I was just like, I loved it. And then, and then we spoke about you know you have an attitude of gratitude if you have a mouth that gives a good report. If you have a mouth that does otherwise, it's letting us all around you know what's going on right here. We often don't think words matter. We often don't think people notice 
the way we talk or the way we complain, but the Bible says this, the words you speak come from the heart. This is Matthew chapter 15. Would you look at it with me real quick? Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. The words you speak, read it with me, come from the heart. And that's what defiles you. Oh my goodness. So we, we culturally, we talk about follow your heart, do whatever you feel, do what seems okay to you, yet this theology of following your heart, you notice it actually doesn't show up in scripture. The words you speak come from the heart, that's what defiles you. And it says this, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and uh, slander. Sometimes we even think things like slander don't really matter too much because it's an it's a itty-bitty thing, right? But I, I, I'm reminded, like, what kept the Israelites out of the promised land? It, it wasn't some horrible murder, right? It was their grumbling. Probably their talk, their mouths kept them out of the promised land. And so we talk about following something. Always follow your heart. That doesn't sound like a leader I want to follow, Following the heart doesn't even really, it, it, it's, it's not even biblical. Think of your own, think of this for just a moment. Think of your heart this morning. Chances are, I know I've done it, we, right? I was, we were like trying to get our worship stuff connected this morning, right? Chances are in your heart and your thought, you have thought something already today that you would not want to announce up here on stage. Has anybody done that already today? You guys are all looking at me like I'm like a sinner, Chances are, think of like, we, we talk about our heart. Our heart is like a sociopath. Our heart can, like, are you serious? Chances are we have already thought about something today that we would not want to announce from the microphone. You, you, you just didn't say it out loud. You just, you, you know, you, it was there. And so I think it's important that when we hear cultural slogans and things that culturally sound good and things that tickle our ears, it's important to always distinguish God's truth versus what feels good, versus what sounds good. Jeremiah 17, 9, here is what it says about the theology of following your heart. The human heart, it's the most deceitful of all things. Somebody turn to somebody and say, ouch, right? Uh, do you ever read scripture sometimes and don't like what you read? Right? Sometimes it's like, I, oh, it's there. I, I got to deal with it. The human heart, it's the most deceitful of all things, and it's desperately wicked. And then it goes on to say this, and, and it, I think it's so true when we look at history. Look at abuse things that have gone on. Look at wars that have been fought. It says, who really knows how bad it is? Oh, my gosh. Who really knows? We don't, who, who even knows how bad it is. Romans says it like this. It's like we create and make up new creative ways to sin, right? I remember that cute song. Uh, I love all things Disney. Who remembers that song in Pinocchio where he walked around? He's like, and always let your conscience be your... What was it, right? I'm a real boy. I'm a real boy, Pinocchio. <clears throat> right? We think, like, I think of that movie, and it, it's a catchy tune. I don't even know when that was created. I mean, it was before most of it. I think that movie was made in like the, the 40s, right? I think it was like older than most of us here, right? And, and, and that sounds good. Always let your conscience be your guide. And we, and we kind of like chuckle and we whistle to it. And I remember that movie. Or I remember um, <clears throat> I'm dating myself here because some of these movies feel current and they, they're truly not one bit. But who remembers that movie, uh, Pirates of the Car Caribbean? Now, is it Caribbean or Caribbean? 
Is it Nevada, Nevada? Uh, but in that movie, Pirates, I loved that character, Jack Sparrow, right? I mean, they made so many movies that you kind of got sick of him. But in one of those films, I remember there was a compass. And I, I think of like, our heart to me is more like the compass from that movie than a, than a heart that will actually direct you to something good. In that movie, the compass directed Jack Sparrow to everything he wanted. Do we see the difference, right? In, the, in that movie, it was like, it, it didn't direct him to what was necessarily good for him or the best decision, but it directed him, it, gui- it would guide him to that which he wanted. And I think, wow, if I, if I could think of the human heart, I think that truly is what our heart is all about. Um, an attitude of gratitude, it starts in the heart. How many of us have ever worried about something in our lives? How many of us have worried about something this week or this morning, right? And, and I think, man, I, I love what PG said last week as we move into our scripture today. When we worry, if you're like me, and I'm just going to be honest, sometimes I just leave it right there and I think of a solution, like, what's a worldly solution I can look to? What's something I can do to solve and help with my worry? But scripture's clear that there are steps to take. If we worry, we need to pray. And that was what stood out to me. I, I, thought, I thought of this, I was, I was like, man, I felt like the Holy Spirit, if I, could, if I could summarize and tagline that sermon from last week in a nutshell, I'd say, in our culture and even in the Christian church today, we worry about everything because we pray about nothing. Think of that. We worry about everything. And I'll just put my, I worry about everything because I pray about nothing. But when we pray, Pastor, we have peace. And when we have peace in our hearts, it leads to peace coming out of our mouths. Right? Like, you think of someone who's just a complainer in your life. You're like, there is something going on in their heart. It's not the words, it's their heart. Because there is no peace in their mouth. There is no peace in their mind. There is no peace coming, no peacemaking or keeping coming out in their thoughts. Oh, goodness, goodness. Can we just go home after that? No, I'm teasing. But when we don't pray, and this is what I was thinking about, how this led to last week, I thought, Man, when we pray, it leads to gratefulness. When we worry and we pray, it, leads, it affects our heart, it affects our thoughts, it leads to gratefulness. Well, one of the opposites of being grateful, uh, right, when gratefulness is missing in our speech, when gratefulness is missing in our thoughts, I think even worse, what is often present is bitterness. Bitterness, that's what comes out and so we, we travel through life and we go through Christmas after Christmas and it sounds like we didn't do a whole lot of shopping, right? I don't know, everybody was like Black Friday, no, Cyber Monday maybe. But we get so distracted by stuff. We accumulate stuff. Does anybody here live in the Northwest side of town? And I don't know if this is all over Las Vegas, but this is true in the Northwest. We have so much stuff that we build warehouses to house more stuff. There, there is another, like everywhere around the 215, there's another storage unit being put in to house more of our stuff. And we just get distracted, distracted. Well, I don't want us to be distracted by any form of bitterness this Christmas season. Gratitude matters. Bitterness is noticeable. And if we aren't grateful, then I would say it like this. There's a very high chance, there's a very high probability that we're bitter. 
And bitterness is a weapon, it's a crack that the enemy can use to walk through doors, to walk into situations. It's a weapon that the, the enemy can use. Very, a very effective tactic of the enemy. It, it, I think even in our culture, it's like we can't even have conversations with people who don't think like us, act like us, believe like us, behave like us. We just can't even talk about it with a sense of kindness because culturally we've weaponized the spirit of offense. We're all so offended. It's everywhere around us and the enemy wants to plant seeds of bitterness everywhere at your workplace. He wants to plant seeds of bitterness in your home. He wants to plant seeds of offense everywhere. He wants to plant seeds of offense in your, in your marriage, in your friendships. Even if it's something very, very small. The Bible says this, that we need to recognize when the spirit of bitterness is present in our hearts. And man, it can be small. Like today, we're so easily offended. Like we, we get offended if someone doesn't respond to us enough on like social media, Right? Like a fake way of communicating, kind of. It's like real but fake, not present, right? But like we get, we get offended if someone doesn't text us back in five minutes, right? Do anybody have like a stage five clinger friend that does that to you, right? You haven't texted me in two and a half minutes. Where are, you know, I'm kidding, right? It's silly, but like, man, people make a joke about someone and, and these little seeds of offense begin to take root. And oftentimes the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, um, I think the holidays amplify what's going on in our hearts. Would you agree with that this morning? The holidays amplify what is already growing inside of us, and oftentimes we can't even see it, but it's growing. And that spirit, that seed of bitterness, it's getting stronger, and it's getting stronger, and it's getting stronger. And someone you love, even a friend, maybe you've had someone lie, someone hurt you recently, and then, you know what's funny is at church, it's like maybe you've even had someone hurt you in church, and you, you turn around and, and you, you see them worshiping in the, the second row or the back row, and you're like, I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then you look over and you're like, to strike them down right now. Right? Yeah, you laugh, because yeah, we've done it, right? We're like in church, we're like praising God. You're the same God, you're the same God. But right now I want you to be the God of the Old Testament and take care of business. I don't wanna believe in the New Testament right now because they're annoying me, right? But many times, here's the idea for today. That must be the longest sermon introduction I've ever done. Here's the big idea, you ready for it? This Christmas season, the next five weeks, we can't control what people around you do but you can control your response. As we jump into the Christmas season, we can't control what everything around you, and that's difficult for us that there's a bit of all of us that are a little bit of a control freak. We love to control situations, right? And I, I do. But we can control how we respond. And like I said, many times Christmas just amplifies whatever emotions are going on. Oftentimes, man, if you are celebrating a new life, a new engagement, a new marriage, something, a new babe, right? Whatever it is, a new grandchild. Oftentimes, Christmas just, it, it, it makes everything that much sweeter this time of year. All those relationships. But here's the issue for those that in this very room have had a hard year. Those that have had loss the last three, four, five years. Oftentimes, the holidays can become a reminder of that financial tension. 
The holidays can amplify that, that physical loss that you've had. That, that, that person, that, that, that chair that might be empty at the table this year. Christmas can be a constant reminder of problems of who or what is missing from your life. And make no mistake, I think one of the greatest tactics the enemy can use this holiday season is to get you bitter about it. To get you to start holding a grudge about something. And just to plant little seeds. How many of us know like all of the trees that we have in Las Vegas that creates all of the allergies every, every, every time of year it seems like now. I feel like allergies used to be a thing that happened in the spring. Anybody with me on that? Like what happened? Right? But think of how small a seed is versus a, a, a giant pine tree. When that's what the enemy wants to do, he just wants to plant a little seed in your heart today. It's a tactic so that you can become bitter. Well, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to speak about, I think, one of the, the worst mass murderers in history today. Merry Christmas! <laughs> but Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we are, of course, going to be introduced to Jesus, but we're also going to see a man named King Herod. Can we get into the Bible this morning and read it? Verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Look at this at verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Uh, history records this man, it records his name to be Herod the Great. And I think one of the interesting things, right, if, 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 um, if you have the ability to write history and you're pow powerful enough to control what is written, you can refer to yourself as Herod the Great. I think it's interesting, right? But uh, I, I would say, man, this is not the title I would give this man. History records Emperor Augustus, get this, it says this. Emperor Augustus said this about Herod, it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. That's what the emperor said about Herod, who was a, a, you know, he was a ruler that was placed in power for the Romans. The Jews didn't necessarily want him or, or they, they didn't have the power to appoint anyone, and he was placed there to rule over them. And that's what Emperor Augustus said jokingly, it is better to be Herod's pig than son, and this was because he was so paranoid of losing his power that he had three of his sons killed. Herod the Great. <laughs> Again, not the title I would give this man. Verse 4, Herod the Great called a meeting to the leading, of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is this Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting. And he called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Verse 8, then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and I can worship him too, right? And we know from 
his actions. We know if you've read the Christmas story before that Herod clearly had ulterior motives to say the least, right? We know he wasn't about to let anyone take his power. He wasn't about to share power. He wasn't about to share his position, let alone hand over his position to a child, right? Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're going to dig into these stories. We're going to dig into some Christmas characters over the next few weeks. But I think it's, you know, even, even this is interesting to me because this is kind of the great summary in Matthew. And then, of course, Dr. Luke gives us a more uh, a detailed description of the birth of Christ, right? But I think it's interesting, right, that these, we, we just read through this. And kind of like what I said about going, jumping from the Old Testament to the New, that there was a 400-year gap. A 400-year silence where the people of Israel had not heard the voice of God, right? And so they were ready to hear. They were waiting to hear. They were expectant to hear. But I think it's interesting when we read this, it just says, you know, the wise men saw the star, they traveled, they entered, they went from the east. But, you know, history tells us that these men may have been traveling for up to two years. Do we remember that? The wise men and their crew, right? They may have been traveling for up to two years to experience a moment with Jesus. It's incredible to me that they traveled for so long to experience a touch from Jesus. And I think today, culturally, how is it so different? Because I promise if any of us went to Africa or on a mission to Mexico or a mission to Belize, certain parts of the world, I promise you people are willing to walk two, four, six, eight hours, two days to experience a moment with Jesus. But sadly, in our Western version of Christianity, we find it difficult to travel 20 minutes to spend time with Jesus. Right? We, we, we do, we do. We, we think of any reason why not to attend and be in God's house versus, you know, what can I cancel to make sure I'm in God's house? I think it's an interesting way that we have changed culturally. Well, let's look at verse 12. When it was time to leave, the wise men, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child, and go with his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child and to kill him. And this is where we're going to see one of the most outrageous, gruesome acts in all of Scripture, and I think even in humanity. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary with his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled the prophecy what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt, right? And I think it's interesting because if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been in this series on Joseph, right? And we're jumping all the way from Genesis into the New Testament. But remember his brother Judah did a lot of the talking, and that's the line of Jesus. That night Joseph left. They stayed there until Herod's death. It fulfilled the prophecy. It said, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men played him. I'd put it that way. 
Herod was furious when he found out the wise men outwitted him, is what this translation says. He sent soldiers. He was so upset. Look how sick this man is. He was so upset. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Think about how horrific this would be. Not only did they decide to kill all the kids in Bethlehem, but they went to the surrounding cities, the provinces. It'd be like, you know, we're not going to just stop in Las Vegas. We're going to make sure we go to Henderson and Boulder City and Pahrump and and Mesquite, and we're going to make sure we take care of any people there as well. This genocide that takes place, infanticide. Israel wept in Jeremiah's day for their children in exile. And here we go, I'd say it like this, they're going to once again weep for these children persecuted because they're connected with Jesus. Verse 17, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. And we might be thinking like, oh my gosh, we, we finished and... I love the way the guys were, were playing, Chris and Justin and Eric, they are playing some fun stuff on the keys today, right, and some fun stuff on the bass, and it was like, man, I thought it was going to be a good time in church today, but now we're talking about genocide, right? Now we're talking, like, this is the atmosphere in which Christmas started, right? But the reality is, and I know we're taking this to the extreme, but what does bitterness look like when it grows to the max, What does bitterness look like when that tree is now fully developed, when that seed that was planted long ago grows and bears fruit? Well, here is what it looks like. It ultimately looks like destruction. It looks like utter destruction. It looks like lives falling apart. It produces fruit that has the ability to destroy many lives, and that's exactly what Herod does. Herod destroys many, many lives. He destroys, he breaks the heart of many, many families. His bitterness becomes a weapon that he uses. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone to be holy. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, so that no bitter root... Would you read the end of that verse? That no bitter root does what? That it grows up to cause trouble and defile one or two. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says to defile many. To defile many. There's a problem with bitterness. And there's a problem with us when it comes to bitterness. And it's, it's, it's the tiny little roots, isn't it? Is anybody here really, really into gardening? I am like a, what's the opposite of a green thumb? No thumbs or can't, you know, I'm like, I put water on it. Why, why does it, you know, why won't it just live, right? But it talks about that there's no bitter root. The author of Hebrews is saying to check yourself, to, to see what's under the hood, to see what's going on in, under the surface, to see what's going on in the heart. Make sure nothing is growing in there. The hurt that you have been dealt, the lies that someone 
told you, the, the disappointment, you may not even realize or recognize how disappointed you are in someone. You may not even recognize that it's there. But I love that, that verse in, in Corinthians where Paul says, love keeps no record of what? Oh my gosh, that's a rough one. That's love? I watched The Bachelor and love just seems like what we feel, right? I haven't watched that show in a few years actually. I don't know what's going on in the world of Bachelor. But I know that it's not always love. But Paul says this, love, no keeps, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres, right? Uh, uh, keeps no record of wrongs. How many of us like to think we're not very bitter people? Sometimes I, I actually like to think that. I'm like, ah, man, I'm really forgiving. And then I realize how much I like to keep score which is totally the opposite of that scripture based on love keeping no record of wrongs. It's saying love doesn't keep score. And I feel the Holy Spirit saying, Joey, you love to keep score, right? The Holy Spirit gets in my heart and goes, man, you like to keep score a lot. And I think that's the, the issue here. The more we keep record of wrongs, the more we allow that seed to take root in our heart. The other problem with bitterness is what it produces. Ultimately, when that seed <laughs> grows and germinates or whatever all the terms would be, right? When that tree bears fruit, here is what happens. That fruit grows and produces something. But what the Bible says, it produces something that's going to defile not just you, not just your loved ones, maybe not just your family. It says it's going to produce something that defiles many Look at, what, look at what Herod did. He, he didn't just stop with a few kids in the neighborhood. He didn't just stop with a couple kids under two, but he said, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to go out the whole region. We're going to make sure we cause destruction everywhere because I'm going to be the man. Hebrews 12, look at the end of 15. Grows up to cause trouble, defiling many. And I think about this with bitterness. Have you ever experienced it where it just damages so many people? Maybe, has anybody here ever like sent a text to the wrong person? Oh, yo, now we're like, oh, wait a minute. Anybody like, you know, what's with the iPhones these days where you can quickly like, I, I, I don't know how that happens, but you can like create a voice memo, Thank, right? And you can send it with, and you're like, what just happened? I remember I did that before. Luckily it was okay, but I remember thinking that could have been bad. God, you saved me because I didn't say what I was thinking. And I, like I sent this voice message like on the arrow. I was like, I didn't even call him or anything. It came out through something on the text. Oh my goodness. But bitterness can cause damage. It can destroy a group. It can destroy a team. Right? Even you think of like professional sports. It can, something can destroy what goes on in a locker room. It can destroy a small group. It can, can destroy a church. One bitter person can literally make life miserable. You could have a boss at work. You could have a coworker. It just, it's like this bitterness just makes each day a little bit harder. But here's what I think is difficult about bitterness is I think it happens to be one of the most difficult sins to recognize. Would you write that down this morning? I think bitterness seems to be one of the most difficult sins to recognize. And you know why? Because we often feel justified with it. 
That, I think that's the reality. We, it, 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 it feels good and we feel justified. They did this. They behaved this way. They said this. They didn't let me know something, so it's okay that I feel this way. And that is justifying our bitterness. I think if we aren't careful this Christmas season, we can come into the room, we can sing all the songs, we can celebrate, we can light all the candles, and, and we, can, we can celebrate Advent and do it all with a smile, all at the same moment, smiling through our teeth while we, we hate a brother or sister in our heart. And the Bible's clear about this, right? John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Would you read this verse with me? If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer. That's key here. But hates <coughs> a fellow, excuse me. <clears throat> but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. Oh, man. If we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God who we can't see? Can we read that verse again? Right? If we hate a fellow believer, if we don't love people we can see, we can touch, we can smile at, we can hug, how can we love a God who's invisible? Scripture here would say you don't. <laughs> it's impossible. You can't say, I love God. Scripture would say we're actually lying to ourselves if there's anybody that we hate who's a fellow believer. In God's economy, it's impossible to hate a brother. And for some of us, right, I think we do this. We recognize, we receive it, and we enjoy God's forgiveness, but we don't want to extend it to somebody else. Oh, that hurts, right? That's challenging. And I just want to close with this idea, with this thought. Can you ask the Lord today, right? And this is one of the things, like, I love when we come before the table of the Lord and we take communion because the Bible says that we, we are to inspect ourselves, to check our, our heart. But I want to ask us today, can, can you ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you reveal me to me today? Am I harboring bitterness anywhere in my heart? Would you write that down in your notes today? Am I harboring bitterness anywhere in my heart? And if I am, God, would you reveal that area to me? And chances are he already did. You ask questions like that, generally we go, oh, Holy Spirit showed you right then and there. And maybe it's an area you've overlooked. Maybe it's an area you've been choosing to ignore. And I just want to challenge us and say, let, let God expose that root of bitterness today because Ephesians chapter 4 says this get rid of all bitterness rage and anger uh, let's look at this scripture real quick uh, get rid of all does it say some bitterness does it say most bitterness get rid of a little bit of get over whatever your bitterness about today it's just oh my gosh this is challenging get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice. This would go with last week, like church, have an attitude of gratitude. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And here's the difficult part, is we know Christ forgave us, but are we forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave us?
Scripture lays it out perfectly, and it's tough to follow. A couple things really quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? How do we work on this? How do we, we, right, we, we, we ask the Holy Spirit to expose it, to, to show us, how do we work on it? Well, I think there's a couple things that I wrote down. Write this down. We can replace bitterness with kindness, and that's difficult. I was going around like a, a gardening route today, so I said, pull out the root of bitterness with kindness, but I think it just sounds better if we said, you know what, let's replace bitterness with kindness, because it applies to us, right? And the Bible says this, don't be overcome by evil, but over come evil with good and there's things in the bible that aren't fun to read because when it says like when someone strikes you don't hit them back right and and it talks about things like if you want to be great in god's kingdom his word says that if i want to be great in god's kingdom i need to be a servant to what oh showing kindness to one another many times i think we find that just being kind learning someone's name on a name tag it usually can soften a heart number two Replace the root of bitterness with compassion. I always love when Jesus grew up how much compassion he constantly showed. He constantly showed. I think if we look around this room, I, I see people when you know their story, there's always people we go to church with that have stories that you would think are so difficult. Some people that have been through loss that is so difficult that you kind of go, man, those folks, if anybody has a reason to be bitter about all the loss they're experiencing, it's those folks. Does anybody know like, anybody like that in church? But what we find about God is that he usually uses people and he uses a situation where the enemy took something, the enemy destroyed something, and we see God turn it around and use that something for his purposes, for his good. And it's the opposite of what we want. It's the opposite of maybe what we prayed for. But I think sometimes the greatest form of compassion that we can offer is, is to pray for someone who has hurt us. And not necessarily because that praying for someone else changes them, but oftentimes when we pray for someone who's hurt us, it actually changes us more than them. Number three, would you write this down? Replace the root of bitterness with forgiveness. And we're going to end right here this morning. Replace the root of bitterness with forgiveness. Um, Chris, would you just come and close us on the keys? I don't think we need the full worship team today, just the piano today. But replace the root of bitterness with forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Um, we talk about sin sometimes or a lot i'm not sure sometimes you know you grow up in church long enough and and there's those that are like man we never talk about fire and brimstone we never talk about sin and then other times people are like man we talk about sin all the time so i'm not sure what your perspective is on sin right that'd be a teaching for another day but sin is not that difficult to figure out sin is not that difficult to talk about because actually in the greek language sin is described in a very simple matter you want to know what it is it's an archery term that simply means missing the mark. That's it. Has anybody here ever sinned before? And oftentimes we, we love to talk about sin and we think of these big sins. I call them the glamour sins, whatever it is. But in scripture it says sin is simply 
missing the mark. And I think we sometimes overcomplicate this topic because Jesus was the Godhead in bodily form. He was fully God yet fully man, sent to the cross for the big sins and the little sins. Everything that simply in that archery term misses the mark. And you know what's, what's crazy about us is we often like, when we talk about bitterness, we think it's just a little sin. But really when we talk about sin, it's not about comparing it. It's not to compare, hey, you missed the mark more than I did, right? But the reality is when it comes to sin, we may have missed that target by a millimeter or a mile, but in the economy of God, that means it's not good enough. That's the reality. Like for a perfect God, missing the target by a millimeter or a mile makes all of us not good enough. We all miss, and how many of us are so thankful that Jesus came because we missed the mark, right? Not, not just one time. He came to cover every time. He came to cover the big misses, the small misses. Every single time we missed the mark, that is why the Christ child came to this earth. Someone say amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Today, Heavenly Jesus, Father, we, we believe you came to cover every single time we missed the mark. God, we know that some of us, maybe we've been carrying some bitterness. We've been stuck in our tracks. We don't know why we've been stuck, but I think maybe some of us are stuck simply because of bitterness. Because it has to be taken care of. It has to be pulled out by the root. There's some offense that you have been carrying for a very long time that I'm telling you, I believe God wants you to address it this Christmas season, and he wants you to be ready to let it go. I want to ask you today, with no one looking around, if you want to begin that process of saying, you know what, I'm going to let go of this bitterness I'm holding on to. I'm going to let go of this offense that I'm holding on to. With no one looking, I'm not even going to lift my eyes. Would you just lift your hand and say, Holy Spirit, come and deal with me. Right where you're at, right where you're seated. Would you just, with no one looking around, would you begin to lift your hand and begin that process physically saying, you know, I'm going to begin that process of letting go of that bitterness that I've been, I've been harboring it, Joey. I've been harboring it. Heavenly Father, help us release those people. God, help us release those situations. God, help us release that person that hurt us. Help me to forgive. Help me to forgive not because they deserve it. Help me to, to forgive because of what Jesus did for them and for what he did for me. God, we thank you and we accept what Jesus did. God, we need you today. God, we need you today. May we leave this place expressing gratitude with our actions. May we leave today expressing gratitude with our mouths. May we leave today expressing gratitude with our words. Not because everything we see is good, but God, because you came and you sent the Christ child for all of the things that are broken. You sent them for our sins. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Can we all say amen? Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.